Hello and welcome to Ask Deb About Business. I am Rom Ganyoso, co-host. We are broadcasting via Futures Television, the home of the future on television. If you're watching this show on Futures Television, listening to it on Radio Future, or listening to it as a podcast or as a recorded event in one of the social media platforms, you too can be part of the conversation. Just visit our YouTube channel, and that is IMCI Magazine, where we continue to chat about the topic of the day. You can also access this information on our website, and that is www.futurestelevision.com. So no reason to be shy today. Our topic is raising capital. One size does not fit all. Embarking on the journey to becoming a business owner is not for the faint of heart. You have to consider your vision or what you aspire your business to become at some point in the future. You have to consider a mission or the more short-term focus of what you actually have to accomplish to reach that future vision. You have to consider your key objectives, your key strategies, your value proposition, your brand positioning, your pricing strategy, your go-to-market actions, the list is very long. You can have the best business plan, but without working capital, that plan will not be actionable, nor achievable. It could be a beautiful thing on a piece of paper, but you cannot implement or execute your plan or have the desired impact without money. Many go down of taking personal savings to fund their small business or they will consider a business loan, or they will ask for investment from friends and family. Then there's the venture capitalists and the angel investors. And if you're a woman starting a business and looking for funding, it is especially challenging. Only 2% of venture capital goes to women. And while the gender gap is slowly moving in the right direction in some sectors, the disparity in funding seems to remain stagnant. Venture capital investment in the US has spiked since the mid 2000s, and the amount of capital at play hasn't slowed down. In the business world, ESG, environmental, social, and governance criteria for investing, has become increasingly mainstream. And to meet growing expectations around diversity and inclusion, venture capital firms are rushing to release ESG reports about their initiatives to increase female representation on boards and in C-suites. As good as it sounds, the fact on the ground tells a different story of the true progress being made. The flood of capital to the startup ecosystem have made some believe that access to this capital has increased for women as well, when in reality, women are receiving a shrinking slice of the pie. Then there's the bias factor that somehow investing in male founders is less risky. But if you have learned anything over the last two years, it's that dramatic change is needed. Today, we will address that funding gap and the changes necessary to close that gap so that there's more space for women to succeed. Well, there's a lot to talk about on this topic, but worry no more. Now you have someone to talk to. But first, let me say a few words about the show. Broadcasting live from Butterfield Studio in Chicagoland to the world, I would like to welcome you to Ask Deb About Business. 
The talk show is broadcast every other Thursday at 11 a.m. Central, where I join Deb Dietz to discuss a variety of business topics. So no matter what your venture is, you will certainly have questions. Worry no more. Now you have someone to talk to. So before I get started, let me say a few words about Deb Dietz. Deb has a long distinguished career as a coach, mentor, and through her awesome training programs at SMB Digital Education, she has enabled many entrepreneurs to follow their dreams. And that's exactly what I like about her. It's her ability to deliver practical advice to help people solve real problems. So if you have a business question, well, let's ask Deb. Without further ado, let's welcome Deb Dietz to the show. Hi, Deb. How are you doing today? Hey, Ron. How are you? Good to see you. How wonderful to see you. Beautiful day in the studios. Well, you know, we're here. We are in beautiful Butterfield Studio in Vernon Hills, Illinois. Uh, we're delighted to be here and wanted to uh, give a big uh, thank you to Jeff Horvath and the Butterfield Studio team for this beautiful set and for making us look and sound so great. So thank you, Jeff and uh, the Butterfield team. And for all of you uh, watching and listening today, uh, welcome to the show. The Ask Deb About Business show focuses on emerging trends facing uh, small to mid-sized businesses. So emerging trends, challenges, and opportunities. And we invite subject matter experts on our show, experts in those topic areas. And my promise to you is that by the end of our time together today, you'll have at least one key takeaway that you can make your own and implement within your own business. And today I am delighted to welcome Carolyn Leonard to the show. Carolyn is going to talk with us about raising capital. So regardless of where you are, your business is on, their, on its life cycle, you may be someone who is even just considering starting a business, so maybe it's an idea that's forming in your mind Mind, or you may be someone who's already going through the seed round or someone who's already scaling and growing your business. No matter where you are on your business journey and on your life cycle, Carolyn's going to share her expertise about funding solutions no matter where you are on that path. Wonderful. Let me say a few words uh, about Carolyn before we get started. <laughs> So in 1976, Carolyn Leonard was the first independent female market maker to actively trade in the pits of Chicago Board of Options Exchange. Carolyn was moving into a largely uncharted territory for women. Until the Equal Credit Opportunity Act of 1974, single women could not get credit in their own name. So Carolyn's mother, who had impeccable credit, co-signed the notes to purchase her CBOE seat. That launched her 21-year career of trading options in equities and indexes, where she was call, called Carolyn Jean, the option queen. Yes. Now, <laughs> leveraging her experience, her expertise in, in empirical research, Carolyn is tearing down the next wall that stands between women and the world of finance. Her latest venture, I mind, is creating tools and services that correct misconceptions and empowers women to maximize their personal value. The firm is a financial empowerment social innovation firm helping women to understand their emotional relationships with money. And Diamond's program assessments, yeah, coaching, and I, workshops I <laughs> are empowering women to own their financial futures. And their latest mind, Diamond Angels, uh, a 501c3, is their response to what's next. Around the world, women yield tremendous economic power 
but the market women represent as investors is vastly untapped. And in fact, in 2013, women only represented 19% of all angel investors in the United States. And this represents an enormous missed opportunity for female entrepreneurs. Then this is exactly where Diamond Angels can be most effective. And Carolyn has always had a deep commitment to her community today. She's one of the founding 40 board members of the Paul University's Women in Internship Institute, board member of the Coleman Entrepreneurship Center, member of the Impact Advisory Board Council of the YWCA, and National Commissioner of the Anti-Defamation League. Well, without further ado, let's welcome Carolyn to the show. Welcome, Carolyn. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so excited. So happy to, to have you with us today to share your wisdom about uh, financing and raising capital uh, for our, our you know for our listeners and those that are watching today. And uh, before we get into the discussion about solutions, uh, funding solutions, uh, you know, to follow up to my point about businesses are on a spectrum of you know early entry and some are more mature and their needs are different. We'll have that discussion in a minute, but I'd like to start our conversation with your story because when I found out about you, heard about you, uh, started following you, listening to your story about how you became uh, an angel investor and are now helping women entrepreneurs with their funding needs, uh, that really resonated with me. But your personal story of how you got there is something that I think our audience would really appreciate hearing. And what really is, is really riveting to me is you were one of the first women on the Chicago Options Exchange in trading in the pits in Chicago and yes. at a time where you were the only woman in a you know surrounded by you know your, your peers were all men and uh, and how you what that experience was like for you and at a time where you were a single mom you know looking to raise your family uh, you were this you know sole provider and had to find a way to be successful yeah. and it wasn't easy going no. into that <laughs> environment so let's start the conversation there how, what made what brought you to the board the options exchange how did you get there what were some of your, your early experiences that then kind of helped shape who you are and, 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 and migrated to today where you're really working and providing, uh, helping uh, others provide funding for their businesses? Take us back. Okay, well, it was 1976. I was going through a divorce, and I was divorcing a litigator. And this gentleman was a senior partner in one of the largest law firms in the world at the time. And he had often said that uh, maintenance and support is like feeding hay to a dead horse. So in understanding that I was going to be divorcing somebody that didn't see the value of maintenance and support, I knew I had two kids. I wasn't going to go anyplace. I was going to stay in my house, and I was going to make it work. So I looked around my neighborhood because it was a very affluent neighborhood, and I looked at the careers that people had that could afford to live in my neighborhood. And it was very interesting 
because we had a large group of traders that traded at the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And these traders were making enough money. They could live in my house and in my neighborhood. Their wives were dressed beautifully. They had great cars. And I said to myself, this is amazing that we have this group of people. Many of them weren't even college educated men. Many of them, I used to say to in the early days, were about as smart as a bag of rocks. And I figured that if they could do it and they could live here, that I was just as dumb as them. And I was going to go down on the trading floor and that's where I was going to be able to make a living and having had a mother who was an investor and a, an investor also in re rental real estate I knew the power of making money and passive income and making money while you sleep because that's how I was raised and you always had to make money while you slept so that was my mantra and I knew that these guys were making money trading and they were making money while they slept. Mm -hmm. So I, I found out that the uh, Chicago Board of Options Exchange was, was in the very earliest days, it was three years old, had just opened and, uh, and I could go down there and I could trade options and stocks. And I knew a lot about stocks because of my mother, the investor and she always talked to me about stocks. So I was very, very comfortable with that. So. Uh, a week after I filed for divorce, I uh, talked to a friend of mine that uh, was down at the Chicago Board of Options Exchange and asked him if he uh, could sign me on the floor so I could see what this was like. And uh, he said, sure, come on down. So I came on down. And uh, the first day I walked on that floor as I descended the steps down into the trading floor. I have ADD. And there was a lot of noise and a lot of chaos. And I hit the bottom step and it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Feel that energy, feel that excitement. These are my people. This is where I belong. And, uh, and he introduced me and took me around the floor. And I spent the day down there. And I went down there with one thought in mind, that in order to learn how to do this, I was going to need a mentor. I was going to need somebody that could teach me the ropes. And so every time I talked to somebody, I would ask them, well, who's the best trader or the smartest trader? And they gave me the name of a gentleman who happened to be a PhD who came to Chicago from Boston University and was teaching at the University of Chicago. And I said to myself, oh, that's really interesting. He's very successful and he knows how to teach. I want him as my mentor. So I had somebody introduce me to him. And uh, I, uh, and I uh, said to him, can I talk to you after the close? And uh, he said yes. And I went up to his office. And after waiting an inordinately long time, because most of the time when he made people wait a long time, they went away. But I wasn't going any place because I had two kids at home right. to support. Right. I was going to be there. And I convinced him that I was worth mentoring. And I was the only person he ever mentored. And he did it reluctantly, but he did it for me. And after being mentored for three months, I started trading. And as in the introduction, Ram said, my mother co-signed the note on my seat. I started trading owing a quarter of a million dollars in 1976. That's 1.1 million in today's dollars. So I was highly motivated to become successful. And, um, and when I went down the first day to trade in the pit I was going to trade in, 
the two big brokers in that pit looked at me and they said, sweetheart, we've never traded with a woman. We're not trading with you. And I'm, 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 I'm shell-shocked. I, I, I knew there was bias and I knew there was prejudice, but I didn't think that there would just be this block that you know, this wall up that we're not going to give you access to business. So I went home that night and I said, well, you know, they won't trade with you because you're a woman. Well, there's not much you can do about Absolutely. it. <laughs> this is who I am. Right. And I decided, well, if being a woman is a problem for you guys. I'm going to really become a woman. I'm going to be, become more of who I am. And I, uh, so I would reach into my closet in the morning and I would put on beautiful clothes uh, with three to four inch steel heel stilettos and I would go down to the trading floor to go to work. And I, uh, my job was to find those allies and those people that really wanted to see a woman succeed. Now, because the guys didn't want to trade with me and, and uh, the guys in the pit, a lot of them wouldn't trade with me because they were with the brokers and like, we're not going to trade with girls. Uh, I found those that would trade with me, but what they did for me by telling me they wouldn't trade for me, with me, there were options that nobody wanted to trade because they were the riskiest. And we know that when there's high risk, right. there's high reward. And so I would trade illiquid options, things that I would hold for months at a time, almost a year. And I became an expert at managing risk. So they did me a huge favor because I looked for those niche products and those products that nobody else wanted to trade. And see, I love that because you found your, you, you know, you had adversity, you faced this kind of wall, right, yeah. of, un, of, of folks being uncooperative, yeah. unwilling to work with you. And, and with that came an opportunity. The opportunity presented itself yes. for you to say, okay, you know, here's, you know, it's kind of like, here's lemon, I'm gonna make, you know, make lemon some lemonade. But, but, you know, but you had the ability to, to think about what that meant for you, you were highly motivated. You, yeah. you know, said there's nothing more important than being able to take care of our children, sure. certainly. But, but you know, here you are thinking about, you know, I'm facing this wall, but yet there's this doorway that's opening and maybe others are not comfortable because of the risk associated right. with some of these trades. Um, so that says a lot about your ability, your tolerance for risk. Yes. You were you were willing to go there, yeah. knowing that with high risk comes high reward. And right. so what do you think it is about you that allowed you to do that, to step into that, that high risk area? Is it you know, just self-esteem, self-confidence? Where did that come from? Well, uh, coming out of the divorce, nobody is that confident because we've made this huge mistake. Right. But, uh, but I, I, inside me, I knew I was going to figure it out. I was going to make it work, and I wasn't going anyplace, no matter what anybody said to me. Uh, you know, you may mean no, but I'm going to find a way to get around and get to yes, and I'm going to find a way to be successful. And so, it, inside me was just this persistence and this grittiness that okay. said I'm I, you know I'm going to do this and I will find a way and uh, and what it did was create a lot of guys that became my fans because they recognized that I had stick to itiveness and determination and that yes I was going to make mistakes and I was going to make trades that I lost money and that was part of my education I always said to people when they asked me how did you learn I said well it was an out-of-pocket experience <laughs> when money came out of my pocket. Right. 
I learned. You learned, absolutely. And everybody, it, it, when you're starting any business, you're going to have an out-of-pocket education as an entrepreneur. It's just part of the process, and you just figure your way around it. And, uh, and lots of times in those mistakes, there's opportunities. There are opportunities, and you know I love the story. You share a story about you know your clothing and the yeah. fact that you, you know, kind of embraced your you know your feminism uh, and, uh, and 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 own that. And you tell a story about your shoes. Oh God! And I, I absolutely love this story, <laughs> and our audience is going to love this because you know I just have a picture of you in my mind, you know, on the floor wearing this beautiful suit and these you know five-inch stilettos, yeah. and I'm thinking, how is that even possible? But your shoes actually were an asset to oh, you yes. in helping you ultimately you know be successful so tell us the story of your shoes oh, my shoes my stilettos well I call it feeling the vibration and uh, and uh, one of the things of not being wanted and uh, this apps uh, uh, this wall of resistance the trading floors had prime spots to stand in well there, nobody was going to let me in a prime spot at all. So they sent me out to what I call Siberia in the trading floor. But Siberia was closest to a wall where all the business that occurred on the trading floor, all those orders from around the world to buy or sell options came in along from along the wall behind where my trading pit was. Okay. And Siberia was like the entrance to a major expressway ramp where all the traffic funneled through past me. And so, in those, tr uh, those booths, they had people that were called runners and clerks. And when markets heated up, these people literally would run. Well, where I stood, because trading floors are suspended, they have a grid and they have tiles that go over the grid. And the reason it's suspended is because of all the electronics it takes to uh, run an exchange. You know, you have monitors, you have uh, computers, you have phones, you have all this technology runs under the floor. Well, where I stood at this entrance into the express lanes, the uh, tile would go up and down all the time because it was the beginning to follow where the problem was. So I was standing on my tile on my spot and all of a sudden I feel shaking and I feel a vibration in my steel heel and I can feel it in my ankle going up my leg and I go, huh, this is really strange and I look around and nobody seems to sense anything. And all of a sudden, things begin to happen in the markets, and I'm not thinking about it. A couple of weeks later, again, I'm standing in my spot in Siberia, and oh, again, I can feel this definite vibration, and it's coming up my leg, and I'm going, what the heck is going on? And nobody else is getting any sense of any activity. And I go, huh, that's weird. And again, the markets begin to heat up. Third time it happens, I'm standing there and I go, girl, when you feel that vibration, this is opportunity because the markets are going to either go higher or lower. So now I begin to listen and I can hear a buy behind me, a buy across from me, an order comes into the pit to buy. And I say to myself, if you're ever gonna take a risk, now is the moment, you've got to buy. So I reach up and I buy some options that nobody wants at that time because they're overpriced. And I say to myself, okay, 
this is your opportunity. And I wait, and I have about a five, six minute wait, and then all of a sudden the market takes off and it goes up. And I sell those options and some stock that I bought at a very tidy profit. Thank you very much to the shoe department of Neiman Marcus. <laughs> now, why the floor was vibrating was all those people running. Right out of the pits and they would hit my tile and it would start to shake. And because I was a woman in stilettos, my secret weapon, I could feel that vibration. Now, my secret weapon also was very effective when gentlemen would think nothing of elbowing, pushing me or shoving me because I was very tippy in those shoes and I'm I sure. could have a terrible accident on your instep. <laughs> They very quickly learned that you could kill, somebody could die from those <laughs> shoes. So I, everybody gave me weapons. space. <laughs> yes, right, give me. But, but I always tell that story because it, we all have those things that if we're in tune with, give us an advantage. And my shoes and that vibration mm -hmm. was my advantage at that time. You know, I love this. And you said, you said something that really just hit home with me if you're in tune yeah. in other words if you're still enough you're paying attention right. you know and we we talk a lot in you know on our show about um, emerging trends and paying attention to you know what's going on outside of the four walls of your business you know yeah. so you know we talk yeah. a lot about uh, you know where growth happens is not necessarily you know paying attention to, the, to what's happening inside your company yeah. but taking advantage of opportunities externally or what are the external right. forces that are facing your business you have yeah. to pay attention yeah. you have to to be in tune to those emerging trends or, or those external forces Absolutely. because that's a great way for you to position yourself um, to, to add value yeah. and so that's exactly what you did you, yeah. you paid it you know you, you this was happening around you you paid attention and you got it and you were able then to act to act on it uh, to your advantage sure. and so that I think is you know a good key takeaway to our audience today is you know there's you know in all the chaos of running a business owning a business there are moments where you have to be still and pay attention to what's coming at you as opposed to just yeah. you know you know what you're looking at on your desk pay attention to those external forces and you did that yeah. to your success but it also well. speaks to you know your your ability to handle risk be get comfortable right. with risk and you found a way to make that work for you. Yes. Yeah. Well, talking about the floor, we have a question from the floor. Okay. So uh, from Brazil, Wyatt. So, you know, Carolyn, thank you so much for sharing your monumental experience as someone who also spent out of pocket money, right? Is there a way to reduce or minimize out of pocket expense any way to foresee or anticipate? Or is there a way to diminish those expenses or is it part of trading? Uh, I would say risk risk is always a part of trading that uh, there's there's at the, the moment you put money on the line what I always looked at was what am I going to do if I'm wrong right. and uh, and as a trader uh, and as a business owner I think this advice is very good there are, you make the decision you can there are three kinds of trades or business decisions. One is you make the decision and you say, oh, I'm not confident about that. I am going to, uh, I'm going to get out of it. And you very quickly get out of it. In a trade, we call it a scratch. 
you don't worry about a scratch. The second one is you make the decision, you put your money down and you're investing in your business and boy, it works like that and you're making money on it. We don't worry about that. The only thing we worry about and spend our energy is the third thing, which is, oh, it's not working. How can I mitigate my risk? Right. And, uh, and my first step is I have a tolerance and if it's a trade, if I lose more than 10%, I'm already out. Okay. That's my risk. That's your That's my risk. Okay. In business, sometimes we don't have a back door to get out, but we do have actions that we can take. We can have a sale. Yes. We can begin to discount. Right. We can begin to claw back money, or as I, I call, spread out my risk. Right. And, uh, and so as a business owner, it, it, you're very much the minute you put money down in something, you're invested. And trading is an investment, just a different kind than opening a donut shop. There you go. I yeah. love that. that. That's a great question, actually. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you. Um, so let, let's kind of shift a little bit and talk about some of the funding solutions. So if you know, for, for our audience, there are those that are, you know, I think in the last, since January of last year, we've had about seven million new uh, entrepreneurs that yes. are new businesses that were formed. You know, just, that's just a daunting number. If you think about it, I think with five million last year, 2.2 million just this year alone. So yes. over seven million new business owners, um, and you know, so they they've maybe incorporated their business, and maybe they've you know they're in the process of you know determining feasibility and putting their plans together. Um, what what type? And, and there are others, of course, that have been around for a while, more mature. Maybe they're scaling and they're growing their businesses, and their funding needs are a little bit different. Right. And I know that there are many different types of funding solutions. So, you know, help us understand, you know, where people are on that, that life cycle from, you know, idea all the way through maybe maturity. What would be some good solutions, funding solutions for each stage of their life cycle? Well, basically, when I look at uh, entrepreneurship or building a business, there are six phases. That's the first time you get the idea about, oh, my God, this is fabulous. And uh, this is something women tend to build businesses because they see a need as a, per, a human being. And they go, I'm looking for this product or this service that does this. And let's think about like, uh, like shapewear. All of a sudden this woman says to herself, huh, I'd like to, you know what, I wear a lot of white jeans. I'd like to have a pair of pantyhose that when I put them on, my tummy is flatter and my rear gets lifted. I think other people would like that. Well, that's the idea stage. The next stage is feasibility. So our young entrepreneur goes out and she starts talking to her girlfriends and all of a sudden all of her girlfriends, when she mentions, I'm thinking about creating something where when we wear our, our dresses and our jeans, our tummies are flatter and our, our rear end looks really nice. I, what do you think about that? And they all go, oh my God, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. Okay, that's, that's the feasibility and okay. that's the research stage. The next stage is we're at the point where we need to get a prototype or a minimal viable product. Now that's gonna take some money. So the people behind the minimal viable product can be you in the first two stages of idea and feasibility. You bootstrapped, it's right. your money, you put it behind. Now you're gonna need more money than you started with in the seed stage to get the minimal viable product. 
And at this point in time, oh my gosh, I have to look at other resources. So you look at family and friends, or if you've got a great idea that can really scale, maybe you're going to look at the angel networks. But you're still pre-revenue, right. and you are just developing this idea. So now our young entrepreneur decides, okay, in order to get this viable product, I'm gonna to go to North Carolina where all intimate wear is made. And she goes there and she talks to people and the doors close. We don't, who needs another pantyhose? Who needs another pantyhose? And I'm just using this as an mm -hmm. example. But one of the gentlemen who she visited that day goes home to his wife and his two, three daughters and she, he says, you know, this very, uh, this adorable young entrepreneur came in and she wants me to create a prototype of these pantyhose. And he said, you know, I told her there are hundreds of pantyhose. What, what, why would there be a market? And she said to me, well, this is going to flatten my, your tummy when you put them on, and it's going to lift your rear, and it's going to make your body look much more attractive and smooth you out. And the wife and daughters went, oh my God, we want that. And so he called her back the next day, and he made her her prototype. Now, She's got a prototype. Next step is, how do we get to early stage? Well, she starts going as an entrepreneur into the stores, talking to the buyers, taking them in the dressing room, showing them the before and after, and they're going, oh my God, our customers are gonna love it. Next thing you know, that business is taking off, and it's in the growth phase, and it's now like a hockey stick. We right. were like this, and now we're right. going like that. And, and at this point in time, if she hadn't taken venture capital money, she's probably borrowing money from banks, which is what happened with our entrepreneur. Nobody thought that this was going to have legs and be viable. So our entrepreneur now has got bankable money because she's got the growth. And today she's a mature company and she sold her company to Blackstone for 1.2 million and she's a billionaire. Right. And she's a billionaire because she never could get the money when she needed, so she didn't dilute her ownership in the company. She didn't dilute the, the equity she, she had in the company. Yeah, she had it. So those are the various stages. Okay. The various players are yourself bootstrapping, right. family and friends who are, have faith in you and know you have the grit to make this. The next is the Angel Network, which is a professional group of, of investors who are accredited, who want to be investing in startups. They want a place at the table. And then we have the venture capitalists, or in some instances, the vulture capitalists. <laughs> <laughs> And those are the ones you have to be careful of. I understand. What, is it, what does it mean to be bankable? Bankable is where uh, the companies that ban are bankable tend to have revenue. They have... Uh, they, so there's a track record. I mean, they, they have, have a track record. They have, they have, uh, they're a bankable company. They have revenue. They have the ability, if they go into a bank, to bring in several years of financial statements. They okay. have the ability to pay back what they have, and they have collateral. Okay. So all of a sudden, these are companies that are looking, maybe they need more money for plant and equipment, or they need more money for inventory. But it's, it's money that in, uh, if they have this additional capital, they can grow and, get, uh, and make more money. They can pay it back, and banks adore them. Bankable companies are banks' bread and butter. <laughs> 
Got it. I love that. I love that. Um, talk to us about uh, credit and lines of credit. You know, um, how important is that? And uh, what do we? What should our audience know about lines of credit and the, maybe the five C's of credit? Yeah. Well, the lines of uh, a line of credit is uh, unlike if you were bankable and you went and got a loan from a bank. Right. The moment you got that loan, you started to pay interest. The good thing about a line of credit is if you're not using it, you're not paying any interest on that money. It's the availability of money that you have. Okay. So a lot of businesses that want to even out their payroll or uh, receivables aren't coming in as fast, but they have expenses, will use their line of credit. Okay. But they consistently pay it back. Now, in order to be able to get it, be bankable or to get a line of credit, there are five C's that the banks look at. Number one is they look at your company and they look at the credit worthiness of your company. They also look at, uh, at the fact, do you have collateral? Do you have another source, if we want, that you, uh, you can put up mm -hmm. so that we are guaranteed of getting our money back? Because we're not in this business as a, as a charity. We're in the business to make money on the money we're giving you, or the line mm -hmm. of credit. Uh, the next C would be uh, cash flow. And what is your cash flow? And your cash flow, can you pay it back in a timely manner? One of the most important things about dealing with financial institutions is their relationships. So they look at the character of the individual. And is this person somebody that we can really trust and can we trust their word? The last thing is the conditions of the economy. Now there were many major companies that for years had awesome lines of credit, never, never gave the banks a problem. But in 2008, when it was, we were in the midst of a major recession, they were pulling lines of credits from great big companies because all of a sudden the banks said, oh, we're not in the business of risk. <laughs> we don't want risk. Uh, you, may, you may be having a problem, your industry. So they also look at the conditions of the economy as the fifth line uh, thing. As an, and as an entrepreneur, you can say, but I always paid you back. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. What happens if you're not bankable? You know, what are what are some options there? Well, if you're not a bankable company yeah. uh, and you don't have the money to finance yourself, you can't bootstrap. Right. You you can do a family and friend round and hope that your family and friends want to invest in you. Okay. Now, when you when you look at family and friends or you look at angel investors. They may think you're terrific. They may think your idea is terrific, but what am I going to get out of it? So what you're going to come armed with is there are two different types of uh, very popular uh, t uh, legal documents. One is called a SAFE, and a SAFE is an acronym for a simple agreement for future equity. Okay. SAFE, S-A-F-E. Got it. And what that does is it gives the entrepreneur the ability to get cash today or in, a, in the near term. Uh, it also gives the investor a chance uh, to have a seat at the table and to be an investor in what they think is going to be a brilliant new company, which okay. uh, they normally wouldn't have entree into. True. And at, and at a future date, when you get your next financing round, you will get some equity. 
because the safe is for future equity. And future equity. Mm -hmm. Now, the other is a convertible note, and a convertible note is a debt instrument. You're making a loan, so you have a percentage interest you're going to pay on it, and you have a cap on how much uh, stock is going to be converted into equity, but that person will get a discount so that if in the next round uh, okay. your your stock is worth $100 a share, you may have a 20% discount, which means in this company that you took the most risk in, you can buy that stock at a 20% discount. So rather than spending $100 a share, you're getting a sale. You're getting it for $80. Right. But all this is predetermined. So uh -huh. these are instruments that a founder can give to investors so that they know that legally they have an interest in this company as it begins begins to make revenue and become successful. Wow, I love that. Thank you so much. And of course, you you are an angel investor. I mean, you are part of this beautiful network. Um, tell us a little bit about angel investors. Who's an angel investor? And well, what is the process that they go through when they're working with someone to consider funding their business? Well, angel investors would be an investor that is an accredited investor, which means they have a million dollars of investable assets that they can invest. That doesn't include their house. They also have, if they are a married couple, $300,000 in income a year. If you're single, it's 100000 So these are people that can afford the risk of earlier stage investments. Okay. And many angel investors will be part of an angel investment group where uh, together, as they make their decisions individually, whether or not each member of the angel group uh, makes that decision individually, whether they want to invest in ABC Corporation. But it gives the, an entrepreneur the uh, opportunity to walk into a room full of accredited investors that can write a check. And how it works is if you're an, a young entrepreneur, you're going to send to these, this community of angel investors. Now here in Chicago, we have several angel investment groups. And interestingly enough, they, uh, we have Irish Angels, which is a group of former Notre Dame students that formed this uh, uh, angel group called Irish. Uh, Hyde Park Angels is the University of Chicago's group. Okay. DePaul University in Chicago has uh, the Blue Demons Angel Group. Uh, so we have, a, 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 in big cities, you have many investor groups. In New York, you have 37 Angels, which is an investor angel group that invests in women-led initiatives. Okay. And each one of the angels is, is, makes an independent decision whether or not when that investor pitches to them. Now, prior to pitching, you're going to submit your business plan and what it is you're going to pitch because angel groups don't invest in just anything or everything. A lot of times you have angel groups that will be looking to invest in technology technology mm -hmm. or uh, other groups that are looking at uh, at social uh, you know social investments and are looking at the power grid and how can we help the environment and so they'll have a bent of what they want to look at mm -hmm. uh, biotechnology uh, at would be their sweet spot uh, so it, you when you go and present they uh, you can put your application in to present uh, your company to them, 
but depending on what the focus of the angel group can be and what most of their investors are looking for, they may not choose you if you're going to be the next Sprinkles. Okay, so understand, you know, what their specialty is or what yeah. where their focus is because right. not all of them are going to maybe work for you or be appropriate right. for right. you. So do your do your research. Right. Um, and then of course you're you're providing your business plan, your business strategy, right. you know, your pitch deck, I guess, you know, yes. with, uh, um, what so what is it that they these investors are looking for specifically. So, if they're reviewing a business plan or a pitch deck, an executive summary, what is what is it that they're really looking for? Like maybe the key things to make sure that anybody who's thinking about going through this process of working with an angel network, um, what are the things like the top three things that that you as an angel investor would be looking for? If I did a pitch deck and a business plan. Uh, what would you be looking for from that? Uh, well, first of all, one of the most important things is the founder. Because people invest in people. You can have the greatest idea, but if you don't look like somebody that can actually follow through, people are going to back off. So uh, so it's the track record of the person. What you know, uh, And that's why for a lot of young entrepreneurs out of college, they don't have street cred right they haven't done anything so it's much harder okay. for say a mark zuckerberg who dropped out of uh, harvard right. for facebook for him to get that early money but if you have a uh, if you have certain things in your background that prove that you have the grit, you have the tenacity, you can stick. So the founder is the number one thing okay. I look at uh, which which is uh, happens to be a problem for minority or women investors because most of the time the people making the decisions are going to write a check they don't happen to look like <laughs> you know so if you walk into a room full of male angel investors and you have this uh, you know Spanx type product uh, that you're pitching they have no idea why it would be valuable so uh, so you know it, that that is a big problem for uh, women okay. and minorities is that they're they generally uh, women solve problems that other women have. Uh, men tend to look for a uh, technology problem or game building games or different types of products. Women create different kinds of companies than men do. So uh, so it, uh, it would be the product. What is the product that you're selling after? Okay. Uh, after that and do I really understand how that can work and the third thing is as an investor you want to know if you have a piece of value you can add is your network going to be and those people you know can you bring them along and make this business better and more successful because as an investor you are interests are aligned with that entrepreneur and so what the entrepreneur is going to get from you is access to your network expert access to your expertise right. so it, it, it has to be a symbiotic relationship and that's why it, you know you have to understand what people in this particular group invest in Wow, I you know, th thank you for that because I think that that's fascinating. I think everybody can sort of understands you have to have a business plan and you have to, you know, maybe put to, put forth your financial business case and you know, articulate your value proposition and how you differentiate yourself from everybody else right. and all those things that would be part of your business plan or your executive summary. But at the end of the day, it's really about that person and is that person credible? 
and do they have what it takes based upon past performance, yes. uh, maybe past roles, yeah. um, and what kind of person are they? Yeah, uh, can they deliver? Can they deliver on this, you know, yeah. like I said, you know, there's a be maybe a beautiful plan that's laid out, but, you know, do they have the track record of actually producing and achieving in the past that then lends credibility to their uh, capability, may raise, you know, they re yeah. rise up a little bit in their ability to maybe achieve the, the angel investment that they're looking for? Absolutely. And so a success, uh, an entrepreneur that has had a successful exit with a company and people have made their money and made a ton of money, he has no problem going to the well again. It's the entrepreneur who, ha this is the first time, and they don't have that track record that what they've done in the past and their past history begins to uh, carry a lot of gravitas. Wonderful. And I know you work a lot with a lot of female entrepreneurs yes. and working with them. What are, what are some of the, the, the counsel that you give them when you're working with them? And, um, you know, are there some, some uh, trends that you're seeing uh, in your working with them that uh, would be valuable to our audience? Um, you know, lessons learned, what are some of the challenges that they're, they're facing, uh, and maybe some tips on how to overcome some of those challenges. Well, one of the biggest challenges that diverse or female entrepreneurs have that men don't have, and we only get 2% two, two of, of, you know, two cents on every dollar goes to a female entrepreneur. That's pitiful. That's, that's very, especially in today's world, you know, right. less than 2%. Yeah. yeah, of all venture capital, yeah. But the most surprising piece of data about that is that if you give a woman a dollar, she returns 71 cents in revenue. If you give a man a dollar, he returns 31 cents in revenue. So that's a big difference. That is a big difference. Yes, so. and, and those numbers are coming out more and more today. Because, and part of it is because as the female entrepreneur, she has to bootstrap longer. So she has de-risked the investment for the investor. Because she's already, she's already paid her dues, so yeah. to speak, yeah. to get there. Right, okay. absolutely. Okay. So, and the, other, the most important thing that I tell female entrepreneurs is when you're asking for money, there are, People are going to ask you questions. If you're a man, they will ask you questions like, they're called promotional questions, and the question would be like, well, how do you see the scaling? How do you see you getting to a uh, million dollars in revenue? And that entrepreneur begins to talk about how he's going to take it from zero revenue today to a million dollars over this period of time. And he gets to show the positive side of his company. And the female entrepreneur or the diverse entrepreneur gets asked what is called a preventative question, which is a question that like, well, how do you know there's a market? So all of a sudden you're on the defensive. Defense. And so what I say to entrepreneurs, do you ever watch the Sunday news show and the, uh, the uh, 
uh, moderator will ask a question of the politician, and the politician answers the question he wants to answer. He may tie it back with a very thin string to what was asked, but he answers the question he wants. As an entrepreneur, you don't fall into the hole of being defensive. Right. You present it from the very positive side, right. tying it back so that you answer similar to as though you've been asked, how are you going to scale that? and you get yourself out of that hole right. so that you get to yes. Oh, I love that. So you redirect the, the conversation yes. and get, get it's your put it back to where you, you, you are speaking from a position of strength yes. as opposed to being on the defense. Right. Oh, Carol, I, you know, I, I love this conversation and I'm just so delighted that you're here today. There's so much more that I would love yeah. to unpack with you and, and uh, continue the conversation. So I hope you'll come back and uh, for a take two, uh, something that we do here on our show is is have our guests come back because the topics are so stimulating and they're so yeah. important and there's only so much we can actually get to in the time allotted to us but uh, I hope that our, our audience got their key takeaways there was a lot here uh, and uh, again thank you so much for being thank with you. us and uh, I'm uh, delighted uh, to have you here and we're gonna do a take two Ram <laughs> oh yes she's coming back because she's there coming are back <laughs> Many more questions and, and, and a lot more uh, to hear, uh, not just about their experience, but uh, all the training and all of the education and all of the inspiring uh, she's yeah. been delivering to the public today. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, uh, Deb and Carolyn, you know, thank you so much for sharing such great insights about, you know, how we can help close the funding gap for new business owners and many of whom are women and may face negative bias and, and not be able to tap into the significant amount of funding that is really available um, for investment. So I wanted to just uh, summarize a little bit of what we learned today. So let's uh, do a bit of a, a recap. So we discussed uh, many options that are available for you regardless of your stage, your company has been in. So the idea, the seed or you know early growth or late stage. Uh, some of those options include bootstrapping, family and friends, uh, angel networks and then the venture and i love what you said the vulture capitalist so watch watch out for, for the vulture capitalist so what is what does it mean to be bankable and the funding pathways to take if your company is not bankable we talked about the importance of credit and the five c's so please rewind the tape and go back go through the the five c's uh, we learned a little bit about the angel investors and you know who are they and how they work. And finally, we discussed what inv investors look for when considering investing uh, in the business. So, Deb and Carolyn, again, this has been such a great conversation. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And for you folks listening, thank you for joining us today. We hope you learned something new about raising capital. One size doesn't fit all. Uh, please share your comments with us and let us know what your key takeaways you know were or, or which one was your key takeaway from today's show and let us know of course uh, you know where you're watching us from well uh caroling before uh we say our goodbyes how can people get a hold of you uh i can be reached at uh, c leonard at diamond d-y-m-y dot com uh, or you can, I'm on LinkedIn, Carolyn Leonard. I'm uh, 
I have a website, Diamond, D-Y-M-Y-N-D. Uh, happy to answer any questions or talk to people. Always happy to share. Wonderful. Thank you again. So www.dymyand.com. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. I, w I will add that to the to the comment section here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming shows. So on October 6th, our guest will be Mohammed Hamoud discussing emotional intelligence and empathy, how leaders can create healthy work environments. On October 20th, our guest will be Catherine Johns on best practices to build your communication skills, how confidence and clarity creates impact when you talk about yourself and your work. On November the 3rd, our guest will be Jennifer Fondray on M&A best practices for SMB. That and a, a whole lot more. So, uh, folks, I just wanted to say uh, thank you very much to an, our beautiful Studios Butterfield Studio. Uh, the show ASCAP about business is recorded at Butterfield Studio in Vernon Hills, Illinois, located at 1000 Butterfield Road, Suite 1007. Again, in Vernon Hills, it is located just 25 minutes north of Chicago's O'Hare Airport. And with its 7,500 square feet customizable staging and broadcasting space, the studio, with its full service production and broadcasting team, is sure to service your next conference, game show, product launch, and brand activation, you name it. Ask them about business, the host, and futures television. Thank Waterfield Studio for making this show awesome. We love you guys. So again, it's time for us to say our, our thank you very much. So thank you folks for uh, being here with Deb and Carolyn and me. Remember, if you're watching this show on Futures Television, listening to it on Radio Futures or listening to it as a podcast or as a recorded event on one of the social media platforms, you too can be part of the conversation. Watch for the links on this video and links uh, to you know www.dymyind com so you can continue the conversation on our youtube channel i hope to see you again soon on october the 6th when our guest will be mohammed hamoud sharing his insights on emotional intelligence and empathy how leaders can create healthy work environments thank you again i will leave you with our institutional message see you next time